Hey everybody, welcome to the Game Changer Lacrosse Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Yavoli. The Game Changer Lacrosse Podcast is about talking to people who have dedicated their life to the game of lacrosse and learning about who they are, how they got to where they are today, and what they do to improve themselves and their teams. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at GC Sports, and if you're a coach or a parent, check out Game Changer Team Manager in the App Store. You can ditch the emails and spreadsheets. The free Game Changer Team Manager app streamlines communication, scheduling, and live scoring into one easy-to-use app. Game Changer Team Manager is 100% free for your entire team. Learn more at gc.com forward slash team manager or search for Game Changer Team Manager in the App Store. Today on the show, we have Andrew McMinn. Coach McMinn graduated from Providence University. During his time at Providence, he was a standout goalie. He ranked in the top 10 in Division I for goals against and goals per game. After graduating from Providence, he went on to coach at Robert Morris University, where he's now on his 13th season. This is his seventh as head coach. Last season, Robert Morris made its fifth Northeast Conference appearance, its fourth under Coach McMinn. He was also named Northeast Conference Coach of the Year in 2012 and 2017. Coach and I got a chance to talk about a lot of things like personal accountability, goal setting, having fun in practice, how they're prepping for rule changes, attitude, and much more. Here's my interview with Coach McMinn. Coach McMinn, welcome to the show. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to have you on, but let's get started like I always do. How'd you get started playing lacrosse? Well, growing up in Pittsburgh wasn't exactly a, uh, you know, a hotbed area, but was fortunate <laughs> to, you know, just have some connections in, in the area of, of people that had actually come from, you know, more of the Baltimore region that, of course, where the game was being played at a much, much more frequent and higher level, you know, back then. And, you know, people that moved into the neighborhood just kind of introduced the game to some of us. And, you know, lucky, luckily for us, it was at a young age where, you know, we were picking up sticks and we were in fourth and fifth grade. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so what did you do, uh, you know, being in an area that's not typically a hotbed like Pittsburgh, um, what were some of the things that you did uh, to get better? Well, we were very fortunate that to have quality coaching in the at the time. I mean, Andy Hillgardner was a coach in our area that, you know, has, has certainly been around the game quite a bit. And, you know, my high school coach who actually helped us in youth at the time before he was the high school coach was a, a Johns Hopkins grad from the 70s that, that played on those teams and won national championships. And, you know, it was certainly pretty, you know, lucky to have those types of, of resources and coaches in the area when, you know, like I said, it wasn't an area that, that had a lot of those people, but, you know, the, the few that were around could certainly, you know, teach the game at a very high level and, and we benefited because of that. But, um, you know, a lot of it too was just, you know, in an area like ours was putting in the work on your own on the side and, you know, trying to keep the skill work up to speed and, you know, doing what we've all done growing up to, to try to play the game at the highest level. Right, right. And, and so, uh, you know, around this time, what other sports were you, were you playing? I grew up, I mean, primarily wrestling, you know, from a very young age, I'd wrestled all the way through the end of high school and, you know, kind of for a long time expected that that's what I was going to do in college. And, 
Um, played all sports growing up. I mean, the ones that I kept with in high school were wrestling, football, and, and lacrosse after having to kind of narrow things down to, you know, to one sport per season. Right. Um, right. You know, and, and lacrosse and, and wrestling both kind of took more of a front seat as I moved throughout high school. And, you know, at the time I was in my junior year, I was thinking more towards wrestling. And then, you know, fortunately back then it was, you know, more than more than feasible to still get recruitment you know, as a senior in high school. So, um, you know, I, I benefited from just being able to kind of slow play the process. And, you know, once I decided the cross is more of the passion and where I wanted to move forward into college, you know, I had some opportunities pop up to, to allow that to happen. And what was it that made you realize that lacrosse was the thing that you wanted to pursue? I mean, you know, I think a lot of the things that we all fall in love with the game, I just think it's such a dynamic game that, you know, first and foremost teaches us so much in life, just with the way that the game is played. And, you know, through experiences that I had dealt with in life, you know, lacrosse is always kind of just my main outlet. And, you know, wrestling was probably more of an anger outlet at times. <laughs> um, you know, and I, I certainly loved wrestling, but, you know, the, the passion for me just really started kind of picking up more and more towards the end of high school with lacrosse where, you know, that was realized, you know, where I realized I kind of more so went to my quote unquote happy place. And, mm-hmm. you know, just always, you know, was that game to me that, that, you know, just gave me that, you know, gave me that feeling where wrestling, I I think with a lot of people in wrestling, as you get more, more and more into your career, it starts really kind of, you know, weighing on you right. or my, my passion for wrestling was, you know, starting to fade at the same time that my passion for lacrosse really started picking up. But right. I just have always loved the game and it was that place that, you know, took me somewhere else, you know, and, and just, you know, again, gave me that feeling that, you know, obviously all sports give, but, mm-hmm. you know, lacrosse is kind of always unique to me in that sense. And, and that's why I stuck with it. Right, right. Yeah. So just one more question before we get on to your college days. Uh, so I'm curious, did, did you feel like there was anything from wrestling that helped you with your lacrosse game at all? We've had a few wrestlers on the show, but not a lot. So I'm always curious if there's any, um, you know, skills or lessons that you take over from one sport to the other. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, all again, wrestling my whole life, I, you know, certainly took a lot from it. And, you know, I think discipline above everything else and, you know, also just ownership and accountability. I think that's obviously important with being successful in anything and wrestling, you know, being a one-on-one sport and, you know, one that kind of tests your manhood up against the guy across from you is one that it's hard hard to run from your defeats and, right. you know, hard right. to make excuses. And I think just, you know, learning that ownership and accountability as a kid and growing up in that sport, you know, was certainly something that I applied in all sports. And, you know, as I got into college and in, into my playing career there, you know, it was something being a goalie, you know, almost the same situation. It's, you know, I guess you can't point the finger at defenseman, but at the end of the day, you're the one that let the ball in the back of the cage. So um, really just the lessons that, you know, wrestling teaches you from a one-on-one component. And, um, you know, again, just that ownership and accountability standpoint. Right, right. So so what ultimately made you decide uh, on Providence to continue your lacrosse career? It was, I mean, like I said, I waited till my senior year before I was really looking at schools for lacrosse instead of wrestling. And, um, you know, Providence that after taking my, you know, had ended up taking three lacrosse visits. And for me, it was really more of a gut feeling. And I think like anything in life, it's, you know, about the people that you're around and, you know, just really felt comfortable with the people there above the other places that I had visited. And, um, you know, just feeling like the, the guys that were going to be teammates with me and, you know, who I was going to be spending my time with were the right guys. And, you know, of course I was looking for academics and trying to, you know, get the most out of that situation and, you know, have a, have a 
playing career somewhere that I knew the team could be successful, but really it, it was more about just the feeling that I had with the people that were there and, you know, that was, that was what made the most sense to me. Right. Right. And, and so that, that first semester when you got on campus, did you feel like it was a fit right away or was there any sort of, um, were there any, um, you know, issues transitioning to college? No, there was certainly, I mean, we obviously now as coaches talk to our freshmen about it a lot. I mean, you're always going to have those transition issues and, you know, you're going away from home for the first time. And I knew I wanted to get farther away and, um, you know, certainly kind of realizing that, you know, the people in different places are obviously different. And, um, you know, it's funny that those were things that kind of seemed like obstacles early on in my career and, you know, things that made it seem like it wasn't the right place at times. And, you know, by the end of my career there, the things that I look back on and appreciated the most that I met people from all walks of life and that came from different places and, you know, had different backgrounds than me. But, you know, early on, there was certainly the growing pains, I think, like most of us go through as freshmen, especially, um, you know, where, there, where there's just the adjustment period, you know, and, the you know, the hard work and the commitment and, you know, the things that you didn't necessarily know what were going to be coming your way and, and just being able to try to roll on the fly with it all. So, Certainly the, you know, the adjustment period was, was one that took a lot of freshman year, but, you know, by the end, like I said, a lot of those things, you ironically look back and probably appreciate more than anything. Right. Yeah. So with that in mind, when you have, uh, you know, new freshmen that come in, uh, how do you guys speak to these kids who might be having a tough transition? Yeah, we talk to them, I mean, pretty proactively. I mean, at least we try to. I mean, we have a lot of those talks even in the first and second weeks where we know guys are kind of on cloud nine. You know, we always talk about how you go through <laughs> right. that roller coaster when you first get in and you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm away from my parents. And, you know, this is great. All the guys <laughs> seem awesome and I'm being accepted with the team. And, you know, you feel really good. And then those, you know, second, third, fourth months start to set in where you know, you've been putting in a lot of hard work and having to manage things on your own and, you know, manage your time on your own. And all of a sudden you start getting a little bit more homesick and, you know, things aren't going quite as well. And. You know, then I think by the time you get to the end of your freshman year, and especially when you come back that sophomore year where you kind of know what to expect, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's a swing back in that positive direction. But um, we do we do try to just tell the guys proactively, hey, that's stuff that you have to expect. It's, you know, it's life and it's not going to be perfect for you at all times. And, you know, you're, you're setting that tone for yourself, especially early on when things get tough, when you are on your own for the first time, you know, kind of how you're going to respond to those situations. And, right. You know, again, as coaches, obviously, we're trying to, to use this game to prepare them for life and, and what life can throw at you as much as we possibly can and talk about how on the field, even though sometimes things seem serious, it's, you know, a pretty simple way, you know, to learn lessons out there when it's just throwing and catching a lacrosse ball. Right. Um, you right. know, but we, we try to keep, you know, the guy keeping the guy's ears throughout their freshman year with just telling them, hey, that's some of the stuff that you have to expect and there's going to be adversity and, you know, even though you love the guys when you first get here, six months in, you're going to look and say, wait a second, I have friends from home that I've known for 15 years. I'm not, at, you know, as close with these guys as them. And, you know, that's kind of natural. You know, it's right. part of the process. And we try to just prepare them for that and to expect it and, to, you know, to more so have the coping mechanisms to, to deal with it and then obviously come out on the other side. Right. Definitely. Definitely. Um, so uh, so I want to go back to the, the, the start of your coaching career. So, uh, you know, what made you want to start coaching? Um, well, my honest answer would be that I, I really had no idea what I wanted to do after college. 
<laughs> um, and, and I had, I had originally gotten on board with the English Lacrosse Association. I was going to go over to England for a year, which sounded like a pretty cool gig to, to delay that process of figuring out what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And then when I was home that summer, you know, kind of waiting to leave, I, I had spoke with Coach Davis, Bear Davis, who was the head coach of our program at the time. And, right. you know, he knew I was back in the area and, and he was pretty short staffed at the time, especially rel- relative to Division One programs. And, you know, got on board with him and, and decided to, you know, to give it a shot and, you know, more so was gearing again towards the grad school program and, and delaying things a little bit, um, <laughs> right. you know, and, and then before, before I knew it, I just fell in love with coaching and said, hey, if I can do this for a living and, you know, make a career out of it, then, then why not? Right. So, so when, you, when you first took the job, you weren't necessarily thinking about it as a career. At, at what point did you start? did you start thinking like, Hey, this is, this might be something that I can do long-term. I mean, there, there was definitely a a process before, you know, getting to that final decision. I mean, my, my first year feeling it out was certainly, you know, kind of back and forth or, and and I was volunteering at the time and obviously you get out of college and you have some friends that are starting to pick up their first jobs and, you know, starting to financially have a little bit of success on, on an independent level. And, Mm -hmm. You know, that certainly makes you question when you're sitting there not making money and not getting a paycheck and, (laughs) you know, looking around you to see the people that are. But, you know, again, I kind of kept telling myself that that the passion was number one. And, you know, if I pursue the passion, then hopefully the money would eventually come. And, you know, the the first year or two, I would say it was certainly kind of a feeling out process of, hey, is this going to be worth it? But, you know, again, I always came back to just having such joy and in, in doing this that, you know, I, I realized that if, if I stuck to it, then, you know, the financial part would hopefully take care of itself. Right, right. So so looking back, what, what would you say the biggest lessons are from those first few years, you know, where you're, you're, you're not making a lot of money or maybe you're not making any money at all? Sort of what were the biggest surprises? What were the biggest lessons looking back? I think, I mean, first and foremost, follow, follow your passion, which again, it's, it's easy to say, but, you know, I mean, I, I was fortunate that, you know, with having my family in the area that, you know, I could get by with, I, I wasn't worried about paying like a New York city rent with being a volunteer you right, know, in, right. in a place in Pittsburgh. So you know, I, I was fortunate that, you know, to financially be able to swing it for, for a good amount of time there before I did start getting paid and, and get on board as a paid assistant. But um, you know, just follow, following the passion again, you know, it always just made more sense to me, you know, throughout life growing up. And, and once I had to make the decision of what to do for a living to, you know, to try to do something that you love. And that to me was always more important than money. And, um, you know, once, once I realized, you know, what the job truly, truly entailed, you know, just fell in love with it that much more. I mean, originally I thought it was about, you know, showing up on the field for two hours and, and focusing on the, the game of lacrosse and the game of lacrosse only. And, mm-hmm you know, then realizing kind of, you know, what it meant to me and my playing career and what mattered most. And, you know, a lot of that was just the, the off the field stuff and the relationships and the life lessons and, you know, learning how to deal with a lot of different things that you might not have to deal with as a regular student. And, you know, realized that I could pass more so of that experience on to guys and then how much more, you know, thorough the job actually was than I originally thought. Um, you know, and, and that was when it kind of just all came together for me that I was like, I just, you know, have the, have the passion to do this every day. Right. Right. Yeah. That, that, that makes sense. And I, I think, you know, the, the key thing to remember when you talk about, you know, chasing after or doing the thing that or following the thing that you love is that, uh, sort of similar to what you were saying, you know, about that, that first year in college is it's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be fun. It's not always going to seem like things are going your way. 
Um, but ultimately over the long term, um, you know, you need to sort of overcome those days and that's when things get better and better and better, um, you know, in the long run. Um, yeah, exactly. Right. Um, so, uh, so tell us, how did the, the head coaching position become available, um, at RMU? Yeah, I was, I was here, you know, under coach Davis for seven years and, you know, going, going into that seventh year, I believe it was that, you know, he, he had been approached with another opportunity and, um, you know, it was, it was certainly hard for him stepping away from the program after starting it and, you know, being here from the grassroots up. Um, but, you know, felt that for his, his family and the situation that he was offered, that it was better for him. And, you know, it was timing wise, you know, kind of crunch time. It was August when he had taken that position and decided to step away. So I was an interim head coach for the, you know, kind of first month and a half of fall ball there while we, we went through the interview process and then, um, got, got named the, the head coach during the fall of 2011. So, um, you know, again, just very fortunate that, you know, I kind of stuck it out here as an assistant and, you know, that opportunity opened up for me just by, you know, kind of sticking the course and wasn't something I said, Hey, I'm, you know, it wasn't my goal to be a head coach or I wasn't seeking to be a head coach at the time, but, right. you know, I certainly right. felt that under coach Davis, he had done a great job of just preparing me and involving me in all aspects of the program that, you know, when, when he did decide to, to take another opportunity, I, I felt pretty prepared, you know, under him and his guidance to, to take over and, and be a head coach. Right. Right. And so how did you, how did you view that transition, right? Yeah. When you're, when you're named head coach, how do you approach setting the tone? Is it more a continuation of, you know, Coach Coach Davis's program? Or, or did you, you know, take it upon yourself to maybe set a different tone or do things, you know, slightly differently from the way they were previously done? Yeah, I mean, my approach was certainly, you know, going to continue to be what it was. I mean, as an assistant, you know, certainly still felt like I had a voice in the room per se and, um, you know, certain, you know, didn't feel like I needed to change who I was or the way that I did things once I did, you know, become the head coach. But, um, you know, I, I certainly had, you know, certain things that, that I was going to kind of put my, you know, my touches on and, and do a little bit differently. But, you know, again, from especially being here from the start of the program from the second year and, and you know, having the opportunity with Coach Davis to to have a say over a lot of things. I mean, we really established the identity of the program together back then in 2005, 2006. And, you know, it wasn't like I felt that, you know, I wasn't able to weigh in on kind of who we wanted to be and how we did things. So, right. you know, and when I kind of bumped up in position, it was more so, hey, let's just keep doing what we're doing and continuing to move in the same direction that we have been. And, you know, didn't really feel like I necessarily had to change my approach, like I said, just because of, of changing titles. And that was a big thing we've always pushed across in our, our program as well is just, you know, we don't really look at the titles. We, we try to have everybody have a say at the table. And, um, you know, because of that, I didn't feel like it was, you know, a significant role change by any means um, when I was taking over the program. Right. Yeah. So you felt like it was a more or less a natural t- transition. Did you feel like it was a natural transition for, for the players as well? I'd like to think so. <laughs> I'm not sure if that I'll give you the same answers, but um, I, I certainly just, you know, again, kind of just picked up right where we had left off and, you know, did a lot of the same things that, that we had been doing. So, you know, I would think that from their standpoint and even going through the interim process, it was, you know, a little bit dicey when you're, you're coaching through the fall ball season and you're not sure if you're going to continue with the team, but you know, I just assured them that, you know, the staff was all going to bump up in position. We were going to keep the current staff in place and, mm-hmm. you know, things would continue on kind of as they had been already. So, 
um, you know, I think we, we certainly made the attempt on our end to make it as smooth as possible with not having any dramatic changes when, you know, when that did take place. And, you know, I'd like to think they certainly kind of felt that way as well. Right, right. And so, so how do you guys, um, how do you, you know, this is the beginning of the season. How do you guys approach, um, you know, sort of each new season? Are there, are there new goals that you guys are trying to achieve? Um, or sort of, you know, how, how are you guys thinking about, you know, progressing each year? Yeah, I mean, we have the guys come, they take a lot of ownership over that process. And, you know, with a lot of the things that we do, that's a theme as we're trying to get the guys again to, to have say in how we do things and what we do. And, um, you know, we, we really feel that from the goal setting standpoint, you know, a lot of that does have to come from them. And every year we, you know, we have a system in place with how we do our individual goals and meetings on those. And we do the team goals and, and, you know, meet throughout the season on those. And, you know, it starts with them without the coaches in the room. And we split the, the categories up per se into you know, lacrosse academics and then character. Mm-hmm. And they do the, they do their individual goals in those areas. And then they do the team goals in those areas. And, you know, we kind of help facilitate the whole process, but, you know, we really want the material to come from them with what they're trying to accomplish on a year to year basis. And, right. you know, obviously, you know, coming off of last year, we, you know, we had kind of unprecedented success with getting to the tournament and, you know, being able to make a little bit of a run there. And, and, you know, we were pretty disappointed to to not move on further. And I think our guys knew that we were more than capable of it. And mm-hmm. you know, I think that certainly just kind of picked up where we left off with a lot of returners this year of guys that are hungry and, you know, we want to advance further in the NCAA tournament. So I think especially when you start off as a new program where you really see the growth from, you know, going through a full season of not winning a single game, mm-hmm. you know, and then having to make, you know, make those just gradual improvements year to year, you know, it, it is a little bit more, you know, kind of natural, I think, for the guys to say, hey, let's now take it to the next step because there is still just a short history and, you know, a lot of connection from the start of the program until now. So right. um, it's not okay. something that we as coaches say, hey, now we got to raise the bar and go a little bit further because, again, we want the guys really, you know, coming up with that stuff on their own with what's going to mean the most to them with what they want to accomplish on and off the field. Right. And if you can, not not to put you too much in the spot, but if you can, can you give an example of some of the goals that maybe the, the players have set either this year or in the past, you know, because I feel like sometimes um, from a goal setting perspective, it's uh, it's easy to just take, you know, the, the easy way out would just be like, you know, our goal is to win a national championship. Right. But, you know, that's like everybody wants to do that. Obviously, you can't go from zero to a national championship. So, um, you know, can you give an example of uh, of what, uh, you know, what some of the goals your your uh, your players or the team have set? Yeah, when we had first entered the conference into the Northeast Conference, um, you know, we, we actually, before it was a, an AQ, we had won the conference outright. We, we were undefeated in the regular season. And, you know, since then, it was kind of the goal we lost in the tournament that year in the NEC tournament. And, you know, it had become the goal to win the NEC tournament, and especially once that AQ was available. You know, that was kind of the, you know, the obvious one to kind of put on paper um, from a result, you know, a season end result standpoint. Um, and, and the guys that stuck with it, you know, I mean, it took us a few years to get there. And, and once that happened last year, you know, we went into last year with that being one of the lacrosse goals that you know, our guys that said they want to win in the NEC, NEC tournament and that we wanted to advance at least a game in, in the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Um, you know, so so for this year, they're actually kind of finalizing. We had done the we, we typically do them at the end of the fall. And then we kind of come back in the spring and hit more of like a SWOT analysis on all of it. And mm-hmm. 
you know, really kind of refine what we want, you know, on paper moving forward. And, and they're actually going to be finalizing that stuff tomorrow. But they've additionally, it, it's been kind of year to year that we've also added in just certain statistics, you know, on the lacrosse goals that, you know, we want to be able to meet with our scoring averages and goals against averages. And, you know, from, from an academic standpoint, it's typically pretty simple that, you know, they'll put a GPA for the team. Um, you know, and, and we've been we've been around a three 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 four GPA as a team for you know a number of years consecutively now. So that's kind of been the the benchmark on the results in the classroom, and then they'll add in the stuff with you know with character, with community service hours, and um, you know getting involved with different groups and, and helping out on campus as much as we possibly can. So right, right. And and uh, did I did I hear you right? You guys do a SWOT analysis as well. We do, yeah. They they yeah. finalize their goals at the end of the fall, and then we come back, and that's kind of our first two meetings that we hash out when they get back for the second semester. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we just go through all of our academic goals, all of our character goals, all of our lacrosse goals, and do a SWOT analysis as a team with everybody in the room on all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we kind of discuss through that, and then obviously have that to paper as well that, you know, that we can kind of reference back on throughout the year. Right, right. And uh, re- refresh my memory. It's, it's strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. Is that right? Yes. Gotcha. Exactly. Um, yeah, that's, uh, you know, uh, for, I, I wanted to make sure I say that for anybody who's listening. Um, it's something I've resisted um, for a while. But uh, since I've been doing it for, you know, maybe the past two or three years, I find those things incredibly, incredibly helpful. Um, so I'd recommend anybody who's listening to sort of look that up and learn more about them. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I want to jump a little bit into, uh, you know, sort of the day-to-day for you guys. Can you walk us through, uh, what a typical in-season practice is for you guys? Yeah, absolutely. We, you know, certainly pride ourselves in the, in the skill set side of things and, you know, we designate a lot of time at the beginning, of, at the beginning of practice, especially, you know, towards just skill development where, you know, we're, we're even getting this partner passing in for the first 10 to 15 minutes on most days. I mean, at least three, four days a week, because, you know, we, we've found that there's a lot of stick work drills that we run that, you know, by the time you're done with an eight, nine minute drill, the guys aren't truly getting that many touches on an individual basis where they might get two passes per minute in that drill where, you know, just getting on the hash marks and getting the partner and throwing the ball back and forth. A lot of times, at least, you know, you're getting the repetitions in. So we'll start out that way. And, and, you know, we get creative so that the guys can have fun with that stuff too, where we're throwing behind the backs and, you know, the short sticks will go one hand underhand and we'll throw shovel passes. And again, we want them to be creative with their skill sets and and to have high level skill sets, obviously. So, Uh um, you know, we, we start off with that pretty consistently and, you know, then we'll get into some more comprehensive stick work drills where it's ground balls and quick ball movement and, you know, sometimes a little bit more position specific as we'll break up into positions. And um, from there, you know, we, we really also pride ourselves in the transition game and playing the game at a fast pace. So, um, you know, we always want to establish those things first and foremost throughout the first half of our practice. And, you know, once we get done with the skill sets that we ideally have as clean of transition drills as we can, um, you know, we, we get into the number buildups all the way up from, you know, 2v1s up until 6v5s. And, um, you know, we'll work those drills in. And then, you know, more so with 6v6 and, and even number situations, you know, we'll do some breakdowns of smaller numbers and, and large groups and um, or, or more groups, I should say, um, with smaller numbers in those groups. And then, you know, build up to 6v6 in the same type of way. And, you know, overall, from start to finish, we, we typically try to keep them for no more than an hour and a half or at tops, like an hour and 40 minutes. Hmm. 
Gotcha. Yeah, I, I've been hearing uh, uh, more and more as I talk to coaches, they try to keep it into that uh, that 90 minute mark, um, which is uh, crazy to me because that was <laughs> that would never happen when I was in college. Um but uh, but I'm curious, to, you know, to one thing that you said in the beginning, which I think is really smart, but, uh, you know, maybe like conservative coaches or, or coaches would be, you know, worried about, uh, you know, breaking things up and then working on behind the backs and things like that in practice. Um, you know, I think that makes a lot of sense to do that, um, you know, so that the kids are having fun. And plus, I think that's, you know, just so, that's something that you need to have in your skill set when you're playing lacrosse. It, it, it becomes valuable in ways for, you know, for not just showboating, but, you know, to get out of certain tough situations. But, um, how do you make sure that those, those drills when, you know, when you're, when the kids are thrown behind the back, that things don't get out of control and that they're not sort of degrading the fundamentals? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, you know, we certainly have a rhyme or a reason. I mean, there's a time and place for, for when those plays should be made and when they shouldn't be made. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and even from the fundamental standpoint for, you know, shooting obviously is an easy example. We want our guys still increasing their angle. Right. You know, where there's times right. where obviously, you know, it's not going to make sense to throw a behind the back pass. But, you know, I mean, we'll have guys that are behind the back shot, but we'll have guys that, you know, catch in tight and, you know, might, might hit a more of a dazzling finish with an around the world, so to speak. And, right. you know, it, it actually makes sense to do it. And, right. you know, there's, you know, and we'll show those highlights to, to high school coaches or, you know, whoever they're like, Oh, our guys can't do that. And we're like, well, we work on it. You know, right. our, our guys right. didn't naturally just show up and, and know how to do that stuff. I mean, you know, we try to equip them with those skill sets and then more so police them on when it's time to use them. Right, right. Yeah, that that's a that's a key point that um I feel like I bring up a lot yeah. on this podcast is when I was growing up, um you know, I practiced around the back and around the world, but for in my head it was mostly because hey, this is going to make me stand out or this is going to make me look good on the field. Um I didn't realize until later on in my career and even after my career where around the, around the back is absolutely an essential part of the game. And even in some ways, it's very fundamental because it gets you uh, a better angle. Um, and I think uh, if players start thinking about that in sort of the way that you just described it, um, people will be a more well-rounded player because um, it gets you out of tough, tough, tough positions and, and you can use it um, to your advantage if it's used correctly. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, so if you can, so, uh, you know, let's say you have a game on Saturday um, can you walk us through your week and how you're preparing for upcoming opponents? Like what, what are you doing day by day? For sure. It's easy. Cause we do have a game on Saturday. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I can walk you through exactly what we did this week, but, um, throughout the season, it's pretty typical that Monday, Tuesday, we're, we're really keeping the focus primarily on ourselves. Um, Mondays after, I mean, we normally, we only have two weeks this year where we play a weekday game. We've always tried to start early to really space things out and mainly play on Saturdays so that our weeks are pretty similar. Um, but with that being the case and Monday, you know, is more of the film work from the previous game, talking about our learning points with what we want to improve upon. Um, they'll, they'll hit a workout that day and then we'll just be on the field for about 45 minutes with a couple drills that are specific to the, the things that we, that we went over in film. Mm-hmm. Um, Tuesday, Tuesday is kind of continuing in that, you know, in that same direction where, you know, we're still trying to get the sticks going. We're trying to get a lot of reps. We're running a lot of transition game and, you know, just really, again, just doing the things that we do regardless of the situation or who we're playing. And then when Wednesdays will typically put in the scout. 
Um, you know, we still, even with putting in a scout on Wednesday, I mean, I, if I had to, to do a percentage breakdown, I'd say throughout the whole week, even in season, you know, 80% of our focus remains on ourselves. Um, you know, we're 20% will more so be just the focus of the opponent with, you know, with some nuances that we want to make sure that we're prepared for. But um, even with putting in the scout on Wednesday, we go out and then a lot of our practice is really still based on, you know, playing the game that we want to play the game the way that we want to play the game. And, um, you know, it's more 6v6 that we'll start breaking down on each side to do some scout things, a little bit more walk through just to get, you know, familiar with what we're trying to do for that specific opponent. And then, you know, Thursday, we'll kind of take that exact same approach with just going over a little bit of walkthrough in 6v6. But again, we're going to run drills that, you know, that are going to help us prepare to play the way that we want to play regardless. Um, you know, right. and, then, and then Friday, we, we dummy it down a little bit where it's a lot more on the skill set side. And, you know, again, just having guys getting the touches that they need to on the sticks before the, you know, the day before the game and getting shooting reps in and, you know, a little bit of man up, man down work that's a little bit more specialized. But, you know, again, for the most part, we're still just trying to make sure that our stick works where it needs to be and that we understand the kind of small, you know, small nuances that we're looking to execute in, in that given week and, and still just making sure that we're prepared to play the way that we want to play. Right. Makes sense. Right. Makes sense. And, and when you are, when you guys are looking at opponents, um, you know, you say 80% of the time you're looking at yourself, but when you are looking at opponents, are you mostly looking at overall tendencies or are you looking at individual players at all? We we are. I mean, it, it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, the, the one thing I actually, you know, was, was always very perplexed by the whole process of putting scouting reports together for whatever reason. And, mm-hmm. you know, earlier in my career certainly went with the, you know, the theory of more so flooding them with as much information as possible. And, you know, right. flooding is probably an accurate term um, with right. what I was giving them. <laughs> um, and I think it was a Malcolm Gladwell book I read at the time. It was Blink that talked about thin slicing. And, you know, it was something that I kind of applied to our scouts where, you know, the, the concept is, you know, more so when you're trying to come up with a, with a hypothesis to, you know, take the most, you know, the meat and bones of the situation and the things that really matter the most as opposed to, you know, looking at as many factors as possible to, to make a decision on something. And right. at the time, I was always frustrated on providing all this information to the guys that really didn't end up being very relevant in the game. Um, or really having much to do with the result or the impact of the game. And, um, you know, literally went back through our scouting reports back then. I just said, I'm going to eliminate anything on here that would not make me play differently. You know, if I'm a player and and I'm in their shoes. And, you know, from a a personnel standpoint, you know, we we really went more towards film. And and we've stuck with that ever since where we just give the guys like a three-minute clip on the the attackman and three-minute clips on the defenseman where they can kind of watch that on their own. Um, you know, and, and took out some, I mean, I just remember the standard things that I'm sure a lot of people still have on their scouting reports now, but, you know, big, strong athlete, good change of direction, you know, likes to dodge up to five and five where, you know, nobody's approaching their attackman going, Oh, this is the guy that has good change of direction. He's a big, strong athlete that likes to dodge up to five and five. (laughs) Right. right, right, for, For stuff like that, I just literally went through and I was like, yeah, this is, you know, this is kind of useless information in my opinion. And, um, you know, really just tried to, to get to the skinny of things. So we did gear a lot more towards the tendencies. And, and again, that's kind of our approach still to this day is, you know, more so look at where teams like to shoot the ball or they, you know, when they dodge into the midfield, are they shooting more off the dodge? Or are they putting the ball through X? Are they returning it back up top? Or are they looking to feed the ball inside? Right. You know, and, right. and kind of more so really getting to the nitty gritty of what teams' tendencies are on both sides of the ball and then trying to, you know, to try to work against that. Right. So it's, Makes sense. you know, certainly – 
certainly dummied down more now, you know, with our approach with the way we do things and in the way that we used to. And again, from the personnel side, you know, we have the luxury of being able to clip up the film and just give that to the guys and they can have it at their disposal there. So, right. Right. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, so, uh, so I'm curious, how, uh, have you guys sort of approached, uh, you know, the big rule changes, um, for this year, what are you guys doing differently? Sort of, uh, let's start with the 82nd shot clock. Are you guys doing anything different in practice, uh, uh, you know, to make sure the team's prepared or is it more, more of the same? Yeah, it's, it's more of the same. I mean, with our style, again, it was very rare that we were getting that far into possessions as it was. Um, we, we, you know, certainly didn't try to come up with answers before going through the feeling out process. So we started and just said, Hey, let's not even give the guys any direction. Let's just start playing. You know, we, in the fall started throwing the shot clock on for scrimmages without, you know, without saying anything. And we were like, let's just kind of see how this plays out and then we'll adjust as we need to. And, you know, the, the first two or three times that we scrimmaged with a shot clock and did a full regulation scrimmage, I think we maybe had one, one violation. Right. Um, right. You know, so for us, it was, it was definitely more of the same of, you know, let's just kind of keep doing what we're doing where we're going to attack and transition. We're going to attack in the early phases of possession, you know, and then there's still enough time to get organized after that and get on the same page to, to try to attack and settle. But um, you know, because of just the, the trial and error of putting it on and, and letting our guys kind of do their thing before we really had a plan in place, you know, we just came more and more to the conclusion that, hey, we can kind of just keep playing the way that we're playing. So for us, it, it really hasn't been a significant impact. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. And what about what about the dive? Have you guys proactively, um, you know, adjusted to that or is that, you know, sort of the same thing? You just, you know, let your players play, let them figure it out. We have, I mean, just to put a little bit of emphasis behind it, I mean, we have, you know, isolated some segments just to have them have some fun with it. And, you know, we'll put a pad out on the field, more of like a mattress pad out on the field in front of the crease and, you know, have the attackmen just at least work on the technique and, you know, where we want them actually leaving the ground and where we want them landing and, you know, getting some reps with it. Cause obviously it's something that can, you know, without question be used to your advantage. And, right. um, you know, we, we want them to get the experience of doing it so that that way, when those opportunities pop up in a game, they've at least had the muscle memory of, of going through those. It's, you know, not something that we're saying, Hey, we're really going to try to, you know, try to do this as much as we can. But again, we want the guys to be equipped with it and, you know, just like the plays where you are throwing a behind the back pass, if it means you're getting an open lane to do so, or you're throwing a one-handed flip, or if, you know, if it makes sense to do so, I mean, those are plays I think that we all, you know, feel are fun plays and, you know, the ones, the ones that are fun to watch. Right. Makes sense. Makes sense. And so one more question on, you know, your preparation. I'm, I'm curious on, uh, I'm curious about your headspace, you know, sort of before a game as a head coach, what, what are you uh, what are you yourself trying to do to prepare for an upcoming opponent? How are you thinking about a game? You know, what do you try to get in your head to make sure that you as a head coach are ready to go? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, above everything else, we talked to the guys about this, but just trying to keep things consistent. You know, I mean, we, we want to make sure that we're we're getting ourselves better every day. And again, we, we really try to keep the focus on us and what we're doing and, you know, our attitude and our effort and how we're playing the game. And, you know, because of that, we don't want to act like game day is some completely different thing. Um, you know, our, our approach and my approach individually on game days is more so to just kind of have the exact same demeanor that we have during practice, which you know, I think our, our culture and our team, we've established more of a loose demeanor, but also very focused. We expect the guys to, you know, to be locked in, but to also enjoy themselves. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and we, we establish that in practice and, you know, I even tell our staff and, and practice sometimes just a little reminder. I'm like, Hey, this is game day, you know, treat it like game day. What are we going to be doing on Saturday? Right. You know, and then same yeah. thing as we're going into a Saturday, it's like, Hey, just another day of practice, just to, you know, constantly kind of bring the guys down and up as they need to, to just stay on that consistent path of, of getting ourselves better and focusing on the things that we can control. Right. Makes sense. Right. Makes sense. Um, so I want to I want to touch on real quickly uh, recruiting for any young players uh, that, that might be listening. Um, you know, sort of the, the big question is, uh, you know, if you're a young player, how do you recommend these kids get noticed or, or stand out? Above everything else, I, I would certainly say attitude. I mean, I, I think that's what, you know, is obviously the foundation for anybody to be successful, regardless of, of what they're doing. And you know, we really try to do our best to evaluate the attitude and the effort of guys, you know, at all times, because as we all know, I mean, there's the quote unquote superstar recruits that, you know, might not even last past the first semester somewhere, right. you know, and, and, right. and it's not because of their skill set, it's because of the attitude or, you know, the inability to, to push through a situation or what have you. And, you know, on the flip side, there's all the guys that, you know, weren't recruited. I mean, we've had all Americans come through our program that weren't recruited by a single other division one program. And, you know, to, to us, I think it's, you know, really trying to find those intangibles of the guys that you can tell just love to play the game. They have fun with it. They work hard, you know, good teammates. I mean, all the things that, you know, yeah, we all want to say, but, you know, again, there's, there's the guys that possess it and they show that they have that when you watch them play. And, you know, we, we want to have guys that are skilled and, you know, can play the game at a high level and obviously have IQ, you know, high IQ and, and can do all the things that we all want. But, you know, if the attitude's not going to be there or, you know, you're going to show that you're the guy putting his palms up to the ref or yelling back at a coach or a teammate or blaming somebody and, you know, carrying yourself in that type of way, then, you know, we really do have a black and white. I mean, I tell our guys, it's just, you know, zero tolerance. I'm like, if, if we're recruiting two guys and one of them's doing that and one of them's not, it's not about who's better at that point. Right. You know, we're, we're going to take the guy that, that displays the attitude that, that we want to see and, you know, works the way that we want our guys to work and, and shows a passion to play the game. So right. you know, I think that's always first and foremost. And, um, you know, again, I, I think that comes much more into play once you get to Division One or you get to the next level of playing. I mean, everybody's got some level of talent, you know, and, and we just truly buy into the fact that those intangibles are what's going to separate one guy from the next. And we try to evaluate that as much as we can in the recruiting process. So, right. Makes sense. Um, so if, uh, you know, if you're a young kid and, you know, you want to reach out to a coach, um, what do you recommend uh, they do when they reach out? You know, uh, is it is it the email? Do they send a highlight reel, a full game? Um, what's your recommendation? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, we have to see guys play. You know, we, we want to evaluate who they are as players on the field, and then we get into more so the character evaluation that we can see, like I just mentioned, on the field, and then obviously trying to figure out some of those things in conversation. But, um, you know, it, it's crucial that, you know, you provide the opportunities that we would have to be able to evaluate you on the field. So, um, you know, sending the schedule, I mean, guys will attach their spring schedules, summer schedules, where we know exactly, you know, where they're going to be. And, and that's always the, the easiest way to ensure that we could get somewhere to see you play right. is, is provide those schedules in advance. Um, you know, and, and with film, you know, quite honestly, it's a, I think everybody would have a different answer for this one. I mean, we're okay with highlight films. Um, typically, I mean, just from a time standpoint, you know, two or three minutes is, is going to give us a pretty good look at a kid with whether or not we feel that he has the skill set and, 
you know, at least does the things well enough on film that we, we would want to continue recruitment. Mm-hmm. Um, I never mind. I mean, providing a full game is not a bad thing. I have a hard time thinking that anybody would have the time to watch every single recruit's full game if they were all sending <laughs> right. them. Um, you know, I, I have sat and watched through some people's games a little bit here and there when, when they send them over. But again, a highlight's kind of an efficient way of at least, you know, getting our original thought on whether or not we want to move forward beyond that. Cause right. if you're putting all your best plays together and, and we don't like you, then you know, it's, it's probably <laughs> right. obvious at that point, we might tell you it's best to go in a different direction, but you know, in the opposite regard, if you put something together that we can at least see, hey, yeah, this guy shows that on film he's got the skill set we're looking for and, and does a lot of the things that we like to see, then, you know, we're going to be that much more proactive to try to get out there and watch you play live. Right, right. And so from, from a from a quick highlight film perspective, um, you know, is it, do you want to see all in-game highlights? Uh, you know, because I've seen highlight films where, you know, kids intersperse some of their plays with themselves at the wall you know like it would would that help or or, or are you mostly looking for things in game yeah i mean mostly in game i mean the one thing i guess if you know you're you're doing something more that's on your own if you can show the skill set a little bit i mean there's something to be said for that but you know for the most part on a highlight film i mean we can evaluate you know what we need to to make that decision on whether or not we'd want to you know move forward with things and, and come see you play live Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Makes sense. Um, well, coach, listen, uh, you know, I appreciate you taking the time to come on, um, you know, especially I know you got a game on Saturday. Um, but there's one question that I've asked everybody who's come on the show. Um, what are uh, three things everyone should be doing every day to get better at whatever it is they do? Um, doesn't have to just be about lacrosse. Yeah, I would say, I mean, we talked a little bit about the goal setting. I mean, that's been one for me that's always been huge in my life and, you know, certainly feels just extremely important is set your goals and and read them on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. I mean, whatever it is that, you know, that you're pursuing and and have a passion for, I think just getting a plan in place is always the first step to success. So um, it's something I always did as a a young athlete and have carried it with me through to today and and certainly do with our team, like I mentioned, on an individual and, and team level. Um, so I think that's kind of number one for me. Um, I think the enjoy, I mean, just enjoy what you're doing. You know, I mean, sometimes no matter what it is in life, it, you know, when we're working hard and trying to do our best to be successful, there's, there's stress that we put on ourselves. And, you know, at times it can, it can feel like it's not fun, but, you know, it takes effort to, to have that mindset and, to you know, make sure that you are enjoying yourself and, and everything that you're doing. So, you know, if you're not going to have fun doing what you're doing, then, you know, then find something else in my opinion. Right. Um, but, and, and last thing I'd say, I mean, just, you know, have an open mind with, with whatever it is you're pursuing. I think a lot of times we get caught up in, in thinking we all know the answers to things and, and how we should, you know, how we should do things and, you know, think that we have it all figured out. But I think we all realize as we get older and older with anything in life as wise as we might think we're becoming, you know, there, there's more and more answers that we all have to figure out. So, right. um, I think just keeping an open mind and, and listening to the people around you and, um, you know, being willing to, to try different things in different ways to, to see what, what it is going to take to be successful. Right. Absolutely. Coach, listen, uh, like I said, I appreciate you taking the time. Good luck on Saturday and uh, hopefully we can talk again soon. Awesome. Thanks so much, Joe. It was great. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Game Changer Lacrosse podcast. I'm your host, Joe Uvoli. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Uvoli. You can find more episodes of the Game Changer Lacrosse podcast on this season at thisseason.gc.com. If you like the podcast, 
please take a second to give it a positive review on iTunes. This helps more people find the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at GC Sports. And if you're a coach, a parent, or you run a traveler club team, check out Game Changer Team Manager in the App Store. It's an essential all-in-one scheduling and communication app for lacrosse coaches and parents. Game Changer Team Manager is free, it's easy to use, and it doesn't serve ads. Learn more at gc.com forward slash team manager. Until next time, keep working and keep getting better.